0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We are thrilled you have joined us for this week's podcast. Today we are privileged to have a guest speaker. May God bless you as you enjoy this week's message.
1: Your voice
0: thunder The start twisting the forest sounds with cedars breaking
1: now it's rising from the ground Hope Church. I'm Kevin Myers with the 12 Stone Church in Atlanta. And you know how much we love you and Benji and Amy Lynn, all that God is doing in your church, your celebration of 10 years of great ministry, how God's expanding your campuses to six and reaching almost 5,000 people these days, lives that are being changed. My wife, Marsha, and I've had the privilege of being with you in person And today, we get to join you for another day. Another day where you have blessed Benji and Amy Lynn. And congratulations to you again as a church. What tremendous joy in the gift you have given them. A time of sabbatical where they can refresh and be restored. You're really a model for other churches. Well, today I have the privilege of sharing with you around the subject of marriage. One of the kindest gifts God has ever given us. And so, jump in. Grab your teaching notes. Get a Bible. Listen in on what God wants to do to encourage you and grow your marriage. And again, congratulations to you. God bless you for the work that you're doing. And may you rise up to the next level of vision God has for you. Marcia and I hit the big 3-0, 30 years of marriage, oh yeah, <laughs> woo! quite something, and, and marriage is, is just us, we're, we're putting it right there on the screen for it, it's just us, two flawed people coming together to create a place of love, companionship, and stability, and an often cold and chaotic world, man, that's true, that's what, that's what marriage is, what it does, And and Marsha and I, we we greatly enjoy each other. But we did not escape the disillusionment of marriage. We went down the just road, so to speak. Like I was just lucky to snag a girl like Marsha. I was an intern at a church, 19 years old, at college. And she visited that church. It was a small little church, 50 people. And she caught my eye. And I wanted to take her out. So I had to impress her, right? I mean, I'm going to do the thing. So all I'm doing that day is I'm going to be reading Scripture from the front. Of course, if, if any of you know back in the old day, kind of what big pulpit thing you stand on, and I'm so dignified in my little suit. Got my Scriptures. I'm going to impress her. And as I'm reading the Scripture, it hits a section, and, and, and there will be rivers of living water. And so when I get to it, I'm just reading, and there will be rivers of living water. And I realized what I said, and I started to panic. I'm just, and there would be whivers of whivy water, whivers of whivy water. Whippers, Elmer Fudd came out. I don't know where he came from, but I became Elmer Fudd, and I, I panicked. I literally. And there would be whivers of whivy water, whivers of whivy, whivers, whivers, whivers. Shut the book. Walked down and just sat down on the front row in a heap of sweat. I mean, it was horrific. It's horrible. It didn't impress her, but I did get to take her out. (laughs) And it led to uh, August of 1982 when we were just married as a life celebration, which led to August of 84, by which time we were still just married, only it was a life sentence. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, those weren't fun, the early years for us. That did not go well. We were in the season of, if you just change, you, you know, well, if you would just listen up, well, if you just shut up, well, if you just grow up, well, if you just step up, we wouldn't be so fed up. I mean, we just, it was, it was not a good season. And, and, and while we're in that season, we had those delightful moments. It's a good thing that the church I was assistant pastor at, we lived a good distance away out in a rural spot so that people didn't know us. We were literally, we were talking, remembering the one time we were at the grocery store, and it was close enough to walk to. We were at the grocery store, and we had another one of the epic fights right there in the frozen food department for all to see and enjoy. I'll spare you the details, but it had TV drama written all over it. I mean, it was really quite awesome. I walked out of there. I mean, we said things that we shouldn't have said, and things happened that shouldn't have happened, and I was walking home, and I mean, I was steamed, and I wanted to take her out. It had a little different meaning than it did some years before. If you're not getting it, let me help you. Uh, this week, my son, Jay, when I got home after work, uh, we were having a little conversation with the family, and he slipped off to the side with his, his, his little uh, iPod, and I don't, know, I don't know what he was doing. He was sneaking and, and, and guess, taking a picture. I don't know, something. And, and then he came up to me, come and says, Dad, check this out. Check out what I did. So this is what he showed me. It's pretty awesome. Did you see that? That was me sitting in a chair, and he took me out. I'll, I'll play it one more time because it's really cool, this little effects thing. Check out what that does. And that, that is so very cool. If we had had phones and those kinds of options back in the day, you know what I've been doing all the way home? Oh, in fact, in fact, that was so cool. I, I went and I said, give me that thing. Said, show me how that works. Yeah, I got it on my own phone. I went, hey, honey, Marsh, can you come outside for a minute? I just want to take a picture of you. He says, why? I said, I'll show you later. <laughs> And I produced this. (laughs) (laughs) Do it again, that was funny, do it it one more time. (laughs) My bride of 30 years, love her deeply. Man, we laughed and laughed this week on that stuff. Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) Some of you, you just got the best stuff you've needed, and you're like, "Where is that app?" (laughs) Now, see, we're laughing right now, but we weren't laughing back in the day, because it's not funny when you want to take them out, and some of you really would. This person that you've picked to love for life, and it's miserable. We were slow. It took us a long time to learn what makes marriage work. What just works in marriage and what just doesn't work. And I can summarize 30 years with a bagel. So I'll do that for you. Just a bagel. Here it is. Every Thursday, we get up and we go work out together. Thursday is my day off. We drop Jaden off at school, and on the way to working out, we stop by Einstein Bagel. We order ham, egg, and cheese on a honey hole wheat, and we split it. We order cinnamon sugar bagel, and we split that. When the order is done and they call me up, I go to the front, I grab it, and as I'm walking back to our seat, I pay attention to the cinnamon sugar bagel. I immediately am aware that there is one part That's bigger than the other. There's always, they never cut it perfectly. There's one that has more cinnamon and sugar than the other. There is one half that's more desirable than the other, and I know it. When I get to the seat, I take the better half and I place it on Marsha's napkin joyfully. And not a word is said. And we go on with our day. And that's it. That's all I wanted to teach you. The series is over. (laughs) That's it. Go thou and do likewise. And if you could do that, I could be all done teaching. But I'm not done teaching because we don't go do that. And so now we tell the truth about what really breaks down in marriage. That I deceive myself. When I say I love her, yet keep the better half for myself. See, she can never be my better half if I take the better half. I can never be her better half if she takes the better half. And way before we ever break our marriage vow... In major ways, we break that vow in minor ways with bagels and the like. And there is a very clear, crisp understanding of what builds marriage. And the core of it is in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband that's it let's read it again it's right there it's in front of you verse 33 of chapter 5 of ephesians however each one of you also must what love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must what respect her husband marriage builds on these two musts love and respect same with me what are they love and respect one more time with a little passion what is it Love and respect. That builds marriage. Love and respect is what a marriage is built on. If you're a note taker, drop that in your notes. Follow along. Whatever God prompts, write down so that you have something to take back and wrestle with. Love and respect. I, Kevin, take you, Marsha, to be my wedded wife. To have and to hold from this day forward. And I do promise and pledge myself before God in this company to be your loving and faithful husband, and plenty in plenty and want and joy into sorrow, to love and to cherish, as long as we both shall live. It's my vow. Every I do comes with that kind of vow to love, to cherish, love and respect. But I can tell you this: it's just us. Marsha and I, it's ours to win, it's ours to lose. And let me be more candid. If back in the day, Marsha had loved and respected me like I deserved early on. Don't preempt me, I'm delivering here. If Marcia had loved and respected me early on like she should and given me the better half of the bagel, we would never have had to go through those difficult times because I can't love somebody and respect them unless they love and respect me. So all she needed to do is become the person I wanted her to be and we would have gotten along. Does anybody smell something? (laughs) You see, that's the problem. As soon as we get to this subject in marriage... As I'm teaching, some of us are thinking, yes. Oh, dear God, I hope my spouse is listening. Some of you just entered into a prayer time you haven't been in in a long time. Oh, dear God, this is so good. Here, honey, did you see that? It's right there, love and respect. Why don't you take notes? So help you. Help you help us. And we're not even aware... Of our own self-deception if you want some help and clarity flip right over one page to Philippians chapter 2 check this out Philippians chapter 2 verse 1 therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing. See, if you want to know how love and respect lives, look at verse 3. Do what? Nothing out of where? What is it? Selfish ambition or what? Vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others. Hey, here we go. Value your spouse above yourself not looking to your own interests but each of you to the interests of your spouse in your relationships with one another have the same mind as christ jesus see this scripture was actually written for all of us in relationship but i just inserted spouse so you can understand the strength of the teaching i'll read it from the message version put yourself aside And help others get ahead. Don't be obsessed with getting your own advantage. Forget yourself long enough to lend a helping hand. In other words, give your spouse more sugar and cinnamon. Right? Give them the better half. But there is something that breaks marriage down. I want you to write it in your notes. It's called self deception. What is it called? self-deception oh my we are so deeply deceived on how selfish our ambition and vain our conceit and we can't see that we can't see in 2000 i was sitting in a room with the author of the book leadership and self-deception This book that talks about how you get in the box with one another and how it breaks down relationship applied to work, to family, to marriage, to all relationships. In fact, these very principles are true across the board. And I'm going to take a moment to read from a section of this book. It is my favorite book on self-deception it dissects self-deception Can I, any of you do ever do that lab work when you were in uh, biology when you were in high school you know where you dissect the frog it's a little gross but, but you dissect the frog and, and, and you open it up and you see how it actually works that's what this book does with self-deception and I want to give you it's worth the three minutes I'm going to take right here to give you a taste of this he writes one night a number of years ago when David my new son was just an infant I was awakened by his wailing cries. I remember glancing at the clock. It was around 1 in the morning, and in the flash of a moment, I had an impression, a sense or a feeling. I thought of something I should do. It was this. Get up and tend to David so that Nancy, my wife, can sleep. Everybody got the picture? This is the moment. Here it's the baby. I could use a bagel. Huh? Stay with it. This was such an occasion I felt a desire to do something for my wife. But you know what? I didn't do it. But this time I didn't act on it. I just stayed in bed listening to David wail. You might say I betrayed my sense of what I should do for Nancy. That's sort of a strong way to say it. But I just mean that in an acting contrary kind of way... Contrary to my sense of what was appropriate, then I betrayed my own sense of how I should be toward another person, particularly my spouse. So we call that an act of self-betrayal. So you can think of a time when you felt like that. Maybe a time when you felt like you should help your child or your spouse, but you decide not to. Or a time when you felt like you should apologize to someone, but never got around to it. Or a time when you do that you had some information that would be helpful to a co-worker, but you kept it to yourself. But we all have these. They're just examples of times when you have a sense of something you should do for others and did not do it. So he says, so I'm just laying there, listening to the baby cry, wail, I can't get back to sleep. And he asks, how do you imagine I've started to think about my wife? How do you think I'm starting to think about my wife? As I'm laying there, I'm awake, I'm irritated, agitated, I refuse now to get up. And what do you think I'm thinking about my wife? You know what I'm thinking? She's probably awake. Whether she is or not is irrelevant. The fact that I'm thinking it is what's relevant. You know what? She's probably awake. She's not really probably awake. She's probably over there faking it. Oh, I know her. She's a faker. How lazy can you get? I Mommy, mean, what kind of mother would leave their kid in that kind of condition? And you know what? You know what? Just, that's so inconsiderate. You know, she doesn't appreciate me. Doesn't understand me. She had to realize how important my day tomorrow. I got to have my sleep. How do you think this is going to be provided for? How do you think this whole system works? And and you begin to trail off into that. And before you're done, you enter into a cycle that we'll call getting in the box. In fact, if you want to follow along in your notes, I'm going to lay out this insane cycle of self-deception that we all do and may have never dissected. Let's go to the board. Grab your teaching notes. Follow along. Let's get inside this. Remember, it begins with something as simple as a bagel or a baby. Something that you know you should do for the other person in this illustration for your spouse. And you have a moment where you know it's the thing you should do and you could honor that. But when you don't honor it, what you do is you betray. You what? Betray. And when you betray yourself, hear me, you change. Who changes? You do. You change. you got to get this. you got to follow this. You change the moment you betray. Because see, what's going to happen is you're either going to step back and confess, you know what, I didn't do the right thing and I should have. My bad. And you're going to own it, which means you being honest with yourself, or you're going to step into self-deception. You end up deceiving yourself. You start thinking that the problem is the other person instead of you, and you can no longer see clearly, and you don't know you can't see clearly because it seems clear to you that you're not the problem they are. And it all triggered on what? On you betrayed. You're not even paying attention to the fact that had you not betrayed and done the honorable thing, nothing would have turned. But the moment you betray, you change, and you step into self-deception. And you move to inflate. Write it down. Inflate. Have you ever noticed that when you buy a car, you start seeing that car everywhere? Any of you ever notice that? Like those cars didn't exist. You bought the car, and all of a sudden, everybody else did too. My son bought a a, Nissan Nissan. Altima 2001. I never noticed the car before. I see the car everywhere. Everybody owns one. Why is that? Listen, because what you're thinking about, you're looking for. And what you look for, you see. Are you getting this? What you're thinking about, you look for. What you look for is what you see. The moment you buy that car, it's what you're thinking about. Now it's what you're looking for. Now it's what you see. Watch what happens. The moment you betray yourself and you begin to change, you move to inflate and you inflate your virtues and you inflate your spouse's faults. Jot that down. You inflate your virtues and your spouse's faults. See, now you get into that dialogue. You know what? She's probably still awake. What an insensitive, inconsiderate mother. I mean, who does she think she... And uh, if you start going through this internal dialogue. And you get into a negotiation, so to speak, in your own mind. That elevates you higher than you ought. And diminishes them less than they ought. And you're doing this all by yourself. And you triggered it with your betrayal. And soon it moves you right into distort. Dry it, Jot it down. To do what? Distort. Say it with me. Do what? See, betray, inflate, and distort. And when you distort, you poison your perspective. You start believing that you're more loving and they're less loving. And because it's real to you, it's actually what you see, so you're convinced of it. And you start treating your spouse according to this distortion that you are self-deceived with. I want, listen, I want to give an illustration that helps you see how powerful it is what you've chosen to believe, even when it's distorted, and how it impacts relationships. So without further ado, here's a little test that was done for lip balm. Check it out. This is the venue they chose for their fake auditions for an advert for lip balm.
0: We're hoping that we can use part of this in a national commercial, right? And this is a test on some lip balms that we have over here. Yeah. And these are our models who are going to help us, Roger and Matt. Okay. And we have uh, our own lip balm, and we have a leading brand. Okay. Would you have any problem kissing our models Girl? to test them? <laughs> it no. You think that was fine? That would be fine. Okay. So that this is a blind test, I'm going to ask you to, to go ahead and put a, a blindfold okay. on. Okay, now can you see anything? No. Hold up so you can't even see down. Okay. It's completely blind now, right? Yes. Okay. Now what I'm going to be looking for in this test mm-hmm. is um how some of the, okay. the texture, Right, and maybe if you can discern any flavor or not. Okay. Have you ever done a kissing test (laughs) before? Yes. Take one second. Okay, now I'm going to ask you to pucker up. Pucker up big and lean in just a little bit, okay? Okay.
1: How many of you are just totally grossed out? Oh, is that horrific? And I want you to understand the power of distortion. I want you to get this. These young ladies believed they were about to kiss a handsome prince. And so they leaned in. Ladies. once you believe you have a handsome prince you can kiss a monkey and enjoy it (laughs) and what is equally true is that if they had turned that thing around and they had brought them in and and, and said you're going to kiss a monkey and put the blindfold on And then switch the monkey with a handsome prince? They would have been creeped out and cringed while they kissed a handsome prince. Equally distorted. See, you got to answer, who are you kissing? And you are settling that in your mind. And whatever you have concluded you're kissing is who you're kissing. Are you kissing a monkey or a prince? (laughs) Are you kissing a monkey or a princess? And you've decided. And even if you have a handsome prince or princess, if you think it's a monkey, you cringe, you cringe you got to get this. Betrayal convinces you. When you start into self-betrayal, it takes you into inflate and distort. And it concludes, you married a monkey. <laughs> I want you to get this self-deception. It's so part- Let me just give you a couple quotes. I want you to get this. Lying to ourselves is more deeply ingrained than lying to others. Nothing is so difficult as deceiving yourself. Here's Caesar's quote People willingly believe what they wish. Let me tell you what happens. Let's go back to the cycle. See, once you've come to the place where you have distorted who they are and who you are, you immediately move to justify. To what? To justify. See, listen, if I married a monkey, then I get to treat him like a monkey. I'm justified. Which quickly moves into blame. Because now I can blame you for everything that's not working. You blame me, I blame you. And you end up in an antagonistic marriage that is blaming one another for what's not happening or working. And you're looking for all the clues and evidence to justify that you married a monkey and you have every right to treat him that way. And that blame empowers you to continue to betray yourself every time you get a sense of the good you ought to do. Because you are not going to do that for a monkey. You aren't going to give the better half of a bagel to a monkey. And you get yourself in the box of self-deception and you don't even know you're in it. This is not merely true in marriage. Men and women, you can describe entire companies and businesses and offices based on this very reality. You get in the box in business with others. And you wonder, why does the business break down? Why can't we get anywhere? This happens in churches all the time. And this happens frighteningly in marriage so that by the time the next baby cry, you have a sense that you ought to get up for her, for him. Are you kidding me? if Jesus himself appeared on the edge of the bed and leaned over and said, get up and get the baby, I wouldn't do it. What I would do is since I have you, Jesus, let me just tell you what's really going on. And I would give him a heads up on the what's what. And I'd say, you know what I'm married to? And I would would elevate my virtues and I would inflate her faults. I would make it obvious how distorted she is and how she sees the world and how clearly I see it. And I know Jesus would agree with me. I know he would. I've talked to him about it already. And then Jesus, I know, would not only agree with me, but he would wake up my spouse. And he would say, get off your lazy butt and take care of the child, just like it should be. And then he'd probably sit there after she left. And he would ask me, how did you break through such selfish ambition and vain conceit? He'd probably take notes on what I've learned. He would probably end up with a new chapter he wants to add to the Bible. <laughs> That's how deluded we get. That's how self-deceived we become. With the very person we wanted to take out, we now want to take out. <laughs> And we go from just married as a life celebration to just married as a life sentence. And all the while, what we really did is get in a box. We boxed ourselves in. We're wrecking our marriage. We're wounding our children. We're unraveling a society. And we're in the box. But what if you could get out of the box? What if you could get out? There is a way out. You'll have to want to get out, but there is a way out.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at www.newhopenc.org. If you would like to financially support the movement of New Hope, you can do so by clicking on the e-giving link at the bottom of our homepage. We hope you will join us next week. God bless and thank you for being part of our church family.